1: It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Smithy. We started the show today talking about uh, the United States has now imposed a diplomatic Mm -hmm. boycott uh, against the Beijing Olympics and pressure on the Trudeau government to do the same thing. So, this is instead so the idea here is punish China, but don't punish the athletes. So, the athletes go, go and compete, we'll cheer you on, but the politicians stay home. That's a diplomatic boycott.
2: Not sure how much punishment that is. Uh, It's symbolic more than anything. The Olympics have long been a political football, obviously, almost since its inception. But we've seen outright boycotts before, um, back in the Cold War with the Soviet Union and the United States. Um, Each each one pulled a, a boycott. Moscow was boycotted. Los Angeles was boycotted. Uh, it hurt the athletes of the countries not coming, but it really I'm not sure it had a huge impact on the Cold War on, on either side. Now, Cold War ended you know, five years after the, the last boycott in '84. but in terms of this, we'll see where it goes. I, again, I think China would be more mortified if all the athletes stayed home rather than just the diplomats.
1: Yeah, well, here's Aaron O'Toole, the federal conservative leader here, making the case for Chi- uh, Canada should do the same as the Americans did yesterday, a diplomatic boycott of the Olympic Games. Here's what he had to say. We're all proud of the men and women who train so hard to wear our maple leaf. They should also wear our values abroad as well. So we're, we've are we been proposing
3: moving the games. There, there wasn't any interest by the Trudeau government in that. We've proposed a diplomatic boycott. I think that's the best thing we can do.
1: Okay, so he continues to make the case for a diplomatic boycott. And I think Trudeau is going to do something like that. He's kind of hinting at yeah,
2: it. Yeah, he seems to be hinting at that. All it means is there's a few, you know, few fewer receptions.
1: <laughs> well, it's like a junket for yeah. these politicians to go over there. Yeah, it, I mean, it's big, a total junket. It's uh, uh,
2: I mean, the, the IOC, the Olympics is the big, biggest junket next yeah. to FIFA, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure. That's, that's not much of a sacrifice, right? No. Like somebody said to me this morning, if you're going to punish China with some sort of boycott or... or You've got to have something, you, you have to have a sacrifice that you're making. And this is not much of a sacrifice. Right? No,
2: just because a few American diplomats symbolic. don't show up at a reception or Canadian diplomats, it's hardly going to have an impact on China.
1: Right. Although China still saying they're not happy about it. I mean, it, it does. it is an insult to them, right? They're losing face over this. So they, they say they'll retaliate. Well, we'll so see. they're going to retaliate against the United States. They haven't said how.
2: Well, I mean, China, China's a country to watch, obviously, in the years ahead, and it's going to be a dominant uh, force to be reckoned with on all sorts of fronts. The Olympics is probably the least priority right now compared to you know, potential trade wars and such.
1: Okay, I think Trudeau will announce the diplomatic boycott, too. Yeah, pro- probably be surprised. Pro- probably this week. It's not to call me on that and tell me what you think about that. Do you think that's going to make any kind of difference, or it's weak, or do you think we should do a fuller boycott? Get set to phone me on that. All right. Yesterday on the show, I, I talked to a liberal MLA, Greg Kylo. He is the liberal labor critic in the BC legislature about the issue of paid sick days. So we're having, we got five paid sick days per year in British Columbia. That starts in January. Mm. The deal is employers would pay for it. So if you have an employee who's sick, they still get paid five days a year. The employer's got to cough that up. Now, the Liberals are saying, oh, this is bad for business. Don't do it. The government should pay for it instead. Now, have a listen to this. This is Greg Kylo, the Liberal MLA, on yesterday.
3: And now the paid sick leave program, it does put additional cost burden on the backs of BC businesses that are already struggling. Uh, There's $310 million that was underspent. So funds that were set aside by the NDP uh, toward the temporary paid sick leave program, at the very least, you would think that government would have some heart and make those funds at the very minimum available.
1: Okay, I asked him, how much would this cost a year? He said the ballpark is $600 million a year for paid sick leave, and the government should just cough it up and pay it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see the B.C. liberals advocating the government... Um Basically add $600 million to the bottom line when the liberals were known for years for trying to cut the bottom line as much as possible. So it's a bit of a tables turned here, but it is a cost for small business. There's no question. Um, so, you know, if you're a union, in a unionized workforce, which are generally large businesses, you already have sick days. It's not an issue. It's an issue only for, um, uh, small businesses and non-unionized uh, workplaces. It doesn't mean everybody's going to take five, six days a, uh, a year. That's that's the other thing uh, some of the critics uh, point out. But it is, no question, it's a, it's an added cost to small business owners. And you've got a number of business organizations that are up in arms about this, that they they think it's an added burden at a time when businesses can least afford it.
1: If you think about the politics of this, I think the Liberals might be sensitive here of going against paid sick days. They don't want to yeah. be accused of being... You know, opposed uh, anti workers who get sick. And, and can't work, so they don't want to be seen as being opposed to it. A lot of voters uh, yeah. who would
2: be affected by this, and I think would like a, a paid sick day,
1: right? So, so instead of saying we're, we're just opposed to paid sick days, which is which was the business line, effectively the business didn't want this program. It
2: seems to be the new reality. It's not just in B.C. This is happening. It happened in it's happened in Quebec and P.E.I. It'll likely spread to other provinces as yeah. well. It's it's come out of the pandemic and COVID nineteen has highlighted the issue of illness in the workplace like never before. And that's one reason why COVID spread in so many instances in not just in BC, you're, other places as well.
1: You're right, though; it does seem kind of counterintuitive to the usual liberals, because the liberals are supposed to be the party of smaller government and reduce spending, mm-hmm. and here they are, you know, with barely Advocating a sh-
2: spending six hundred million dollars.
1: With barely a shrug, it's oh, six hundred million. Okay, we'll we'll pay for that. The other thing is the uh, the bureaucracy is something like that. Like, can you imagine employers? I guess would have to report to government. I had an employee who didn't come, who came in, uh, who took a sick day this week, so therefore you. You owe me money and I've got to yeah. file all kinds of paperwork or reports. I mean, you know, it'd be like a huge bureaucracy attached to it. A ministry of sick days. Would have to yeah. Be created. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and the liberals are just without a blink. I just said, yeah, well we, we should pay for this. So well,
2: what, again, in the pandemic, uh, political parties of all persuasions, without a blink have added zeros to, yeah. to programs in terms of how much money is being spent. So, you know, balancing the budget is an afterthought now. It's not going to happen for a decade. So the door is open to spend as much money as you want.
1: Okay. Get set to call me on that one too. Um, Mike Farnworth, the public safety minister, he was supposed to go to the interior today to look at some of the flood damage. He
2: got fogged uh, fogged in or fogged out. uh, I think he's stuck in Victoria. Our cameraman was supposed to go with him, and uh, the helicopter wasn't able to come out of Vancouver to come pick them up. So I think that's going to be rescheduled for likely Friday. And then Rob Fleming, the transportation minister, is hoping to tour the Hala and check out the damages there, um, which uh, is extensive, more than 20 Sites along that highway, 130-kilometer stretch, have been uh, severely damaged. And the aerial footage we've had on Global is just phenomenal, just showing the the, um, extensive, catastrophic damage to that highway in so many places. So he hopes to have the highway open. His ministry hopes to have the highway open at the end of January to commercial traffic only, and it will be limited, probably one. uh, They're alternating one lane or one lane uh, in each way. Uh, and that's just a, a temporary fix. That's not the permanent fix. T- uh, the permanent fix for these highways is going to take some time because they just can't be built the same way they were built before.
1: Yeah, when I saw those global news pictures of the Coquihalla basically just lying in pieces, I mm-hmm. thought, oh, man, this is going to take years to repair this. I was surprised when, and Fleming continues to stick to his guns on this, that by, as you as you emphasize there, by the end of January... Mm-hmm. That he expects the Hala to be reopened, yeah, which I find amazing.
2: Amazing. Now, the uh, BC Highways Ministry and its contractors are somewhat legendary when it comes to building roads and highways. They've done it in extraordinary situations and weather conditions throughout the years. I mean, the, co- the fact that Hala was built to begin with uh, was <laughs> was kind of a, an engineering marvel. Uh, a lot of people thought that's, there's no way you can build a highway through that elevation, um, you know, remote places, and it was pulled off in time for Expo well, 86, a bit of a scandal in that it was fast-tracked and there were some engineering problems exposed as a result of sort of cutting some corners. But anybody who's traveled to is, you know, over the years has been happy with that route.
1: Well, I hope Fleming is right. I hope the Hala does open by the end of January. But one of the reasons I was surprised when he said that was there are no access roads to the Hala, right? So, so to get to these broken sections of highway, Very few. how do you... Get in there. there yeah, there's,
2: that's an issue for a number of the places. Apparently, there are some uh, logging roads that are accessible, uh, he, he tells them, I and not in all all places. I mean, um, in the north, we've seen uh, in Northwest Territories, for example, uh, and none of it, they've actually helicoptered in and yep. dropped, dropped from the sky equipment pieces. Bring in heavy equipment by helicopter. By helicopter, and yep. that may happen here as well.
1: Yeah, and that, and it would be, like you said, it would be a temporary fix, commercial traffic only. Yeah. The permanent fix will take how long I and cost
2: know. how much? It's going to cost a know. lot of money. I mean, yeah,
1: in terms of the recreational travel,
2: I think we're a long ways away from recreational travel. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Travel on the Cocahalla.
1: All right, phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Doug in Surrey. Hi, Doug.
3: Hi, Mike and Keith. I was just thinking when you people said that it could be years before recreational travel up the Coke uh, is a reality. That's a long, are time. long We are long overdue for a, a really reasonable uh, solution to the problems of uh, via rail being put on sidings while freight rolls through the Rockies. Uh, a year or so ago, they had a train that ran out of van up to uh, Edmonton and it doubled back so you could see this beautiful part of our country in the daytime. And that was a great idea. Um, we are long overdue uh, for little places like Vailmont that want to develop a ski resort for a really real-world uh, solution to the problem of not enough trains coming through. Trains can build their sure. own infrastructure.
1: Okay, thanks. thanks for the call. Yeah, well, train travel's
2: got a romanticism to it. I love trains. But it's interesting, you know, years ago, um, train travel was very prevalent. You, you, people did take trains. It was more economical and cheaper than, than planes. It doesn't seem to be the case now. To take a train across the country seems... Very expensive compared to a a flight, so I think the economic models for passenger trains doesn't seem to be working. It's been an ongoing debate over here in the capital to sort of um, reactivate the E N N railway line. Yeah, yeah. went from Vancouver up to Courtney. Uh, but every business case uh, just doesn't uh, meet the, the the test in terms of uh, paying for itself. It needs a subsidy.
1: Well, the other thing is we need the highway system, and you need the Coca Hala to be rebuilt. And you know, and uh, like you pointed out, okay, you're not saying it's going to take years. No, this you're is going saying- to
2: take a long time. Nobody's got a a, a firm f- figure on this, other than Rob Fleming's ministry says uh, temporary fix by the end of January for commercial trucks only. But no one's talking about recreational travel.
1: R- right, and and the, you know. The guys who build highways in this province can do amazing things, and and they're actually fired up and excited. I, you can actually sort of detect like, okay, we're ready to go. We the want to rebuild. Road,
2: road builders uh, look at this as a as a challenge well, and, one, and an maybe, opportunity. Maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's yeah, a you know a lot of contractors are going to make a lot of money here. Yeah,
1: Mitch in Maple Ridge. Hey, Mitch.
0: Hey guys, hey Mike, hey Keith, uh, am I in a Twilight Zone episode? The fact we're sending athletes to China at all after they illegally held two Canadians for a year and a half or more, I think, without trial and eventually they had a trial, but with no evidence. I mean, I, if one of my kids was going, I'd be scared. I'd be scared. I would. I, I, it's, it's unconscionable. What if one of those guys swings a camera the wrong way? Is, is Justin going to get them out?
1: No, like I don't. I don't think the athletes are in any danger going to China, but there. I think there was a pretty powerful case made for Canada to do a full boycott of the China Olympics. I don't think they want. We wanted to go it alone on that. There. There may have been efforts behind the scenes to maybe get some sort of coalition of the willing who wanted to do a boycott, but it seems like it's landed on the diplomatic boycott instead,
2: which is pretty weak. A, a, a Canada-only boycott is like a, a little pebble in a puddle it's it's <laughs> not going to have a big impact at all but if there's a general boycott i mean that would embarrass china to agree that well i think that ship has sailed more. i and think it, it has too yeah i think it's the caller makes a good point i mean at some point is it really worth it to really are the olympics that important do they trump human rights abuses do they trump uh, illegal imprisonment of of your citizens is it really that important to send the swim team there
1: yeah, a bigger decision point for Trudeau might not be a diplomatic boycott of the games. It might be Huawei and whether that big Chinese tech company should be allowed to do that's, 5G in Canada.
2: That's, I think, a trickier proposition. Yeah. That's a bigger problem.
1: Robert and Langley. Hi, Robert.
2: Hey, guys.
0: Yeah, I have more of a comment than anything. I'm a small businessman and, uh, regarding the sick days, and I appreciate that people ought not to come in sick, but to pay for it is is a real burden. And what's going to end up happening, and I've talked to other colleagues, is is we're probably going to have to unfortunately the staff are going to have to take up that slack uh, so if we're we're paying out you know let's face it seven out of ten people are probably going to use up their sick days you know throughout the year and that's a real burden it's i don't have the dollars for it, so the pressure is going to ultimately be on the other employee uh, to to kind of pick up that pace and and to deal with it because there just isn't Enough to, to, to manage, and so that's that's mainly. Yeah, what but I you don't want,
1: but well, you don't want people coming in to work sick, though, right?
0: Absolutely, and yeah. I agree, and I agree. Yeah. And right now, that's really where the burden typically lies, anyway, is somebody doesn't show. And I know that some of these medium-sized businesses and so on are, are, are going to have to take some kind of a stand. Like you just can't pour out money. And I do agree with we, the well, government. Hey, it's their idea, they're not small business oriented
2: so. You, you guys pay for it. That's the mm-hmm. way I look. Okay, well, I'm, why, not, why I'm, pass not,
1: it on? I'm not sure the government will pay for it, but your thoughts, Keith?
2: Well, the roots of this uh, go back to the beginning of the pandemic. I remember uh, covering a couple of cases where people went to work sick because they were afraid they'd be fired, uh, and a couple of them were in a food processing plant. That's where some of our worst outbreaks were, were in long-term care and food processing plants, where people worked in close quarters. We're talking also... Um, immigrants, poorly paid people uh, who just really couldn't risk losing a single day's worth of pay and thought they'd be fired as well. And as a result, uh, hundreds of people were infected with COVID-19.
1: Squeeze in one more here. Stephen and Burnaby. Stephen, you got 30 seconds here, okay?
2: Hi, hi. Yeah, just to comment on the boycott with uh,
0: China and the Olympics, I think uh, we've got to look kind of at ourselves because, yeah, we all want um, Chinese goods, we all want uh, uh, cheap things, and we're fine with that. But, and we all want Canada's men's and women's teams to win gold in hockey. And God forbid, if we take that away from Canada, what would happen? You know, so I think if the general public kind of sees, you know, my actions and my. Uh, uh, sports hurrahing uh, okay. are causing this, then maybe look inwards.
1: Thanks for the call. Um,
2: again, what Canada does does not matter nearly as much as what the U.S. does. China's going to pay way more attention to uh, the Americans than the Canadians.
1: Thanks, Keith. All right. Bye. All right. That's Keith Baldry. That's Baldry's Beat. Thanks a lot for all your calls. Did.